0: I am now pleased to declare the 2021 commencement open for the awarding of honorary degrees. Duke University awards honorary degrees to recognize extraordinary achievement and service to the world. The candidates for honorary degrees have been enthusiastically approved by the faculty and by the Board of Trustees. Each will be accompanied by a faculty or trustee sponsor. And to today's recipients, we know that your example will inspire our graduates to pursue careers of equal principle and purpose. We welcome you to our university community and we're proud to call you Dukies. I now invite Thavolia Glymph, professor of history and law, to accompany to the podium Barbara Arnwine, candidate for the honorary degree of Doctor of Laws. Attorney Barbara Arnwy is president and founder of the Transformative Justice Coalition and an internationally renowned scholar. She's known for her contributions to critical justice issues, including the passage of the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1991 and the 2006 reauthorization of provisions of the Voting Rights Act. She is a vocal advocate for equitable practices in a wide range of areas, including voting rights, the rights of women and immigrants, judicial diversity, criminal justice reform, racial profiling, health care disparities, and LGBTQIA equality. Ms. Arnwine has, for decades, been at the forefront of advocacy for diversity programs and the preservation of affirmative action. She has served as executive director of the National Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, a group founded by John F. Kennedy. And she organized the National Conference on African-American Women and the Law. She serves as co-chair and facilitator of the National Commission for Voter Justice and the Voting Rights Alliance, and is on the boards of directors of Moms Rising, and the African American Policy Forum. Ms. Arnwine earned a Bachelor of Arts from Scripps College and a Juris Doctor from Duke, where she was one of the first African American female students at Duke Law. In addition to numerous awards and honors, she was most recently recognized by the National Bar of the SCLC of Southern California for her work on voting rights. Barbara, for your extraordinary advocacy for equality and justice, I am delighted to confer upon you the honorary degree of Doctor of Laws. I now invite Marion Broom, Dean of the Duke University School of Nursing, Ruby F. Wilson, Professor of Nursing, and Vice Chancellor for Nursing Affairs, to accompany to the podium Jacqueline Campbell, candidate for the honorary degree of Doctor of Science. Jacqueline Campbell, The Anna D. Wolfe Chair and Professor in the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing is a renowned scholar of domestic and intimate partner violence. In her career, Dr. Campbell has authored seven books and more than 300 publications, served as principal investigator for nearly 20 major grants, and has been elected to the National Academy of Medicine and the American Academy of Nursing. Dr. Campbell's pathbreaking work on domestic partner homicide and collaboration with survivors of intimate uh, family violence have greatly improved the Academy's understanding of these pressing problems. She co-authored, or co-chaired rather, the steering committee that designed and launched the World Health Organization Domestic Violence and Health Study, recognizing intimate partner violence as a global health problem for the first time. These efforts and her advocacy for victims and survivors of domestic violence have saved countless or improved countless lives around the world. Dr. Campbell received her BSN from Duke in 1968 and we're proud to call her a Duke alumna. Her son, her son, Uh, Daughter and son-in-law are also alumni, and her granddaughter, Grace, is a member of the class of 2024. Jackie, for your groundbreaking scholarship and steadfast advocacy for victims of violence, I am delighted to confer upon you the honorary degree of Doctor of Science. I now invite the Honorable Alison Duncan, Duke University trustee, to accompany to the podium Evelyn Higginbotham, candidate for the honorary degree of Doctor of Humane Letters. Evelyn Higginbotham, the Victor S. Thomas Professor of History and African-American and African American Studies at Harvard University, has transformed the study of African-American history through her research and theoretical work. As a theoretician, Dr. Higginbotham coined the terms meta-language of race and politics of respectability, both of which have inspired a robust, body of scholarship in history, African-American studies, cultural criticism, and a number of other fields. She was also an enormously influential author. Her groundbreaking book on the women's movement in the Black Baptist Church, Righteous Discontent, won prizes from the American Historical Association and the American Academy of Religion. She co-authored with John Hope Franklin, a revised version of From Slavery to Freedom, and co-edited the 12-volume African-American National Biography. She currently serves as president of the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. And in 2015, she received the National Humanities Medal from President Barack Obama. I'm also delighted to share that Dr. Higginbotham uh, is not new to our campus. She was previously the inaugural visiting John Hope Franklin Professor of American Legal History at Duke Law. Evelyn, for your profound contributions to the study of history and of African-American experience, I am delighted to confer upon you the honorary degree of Doctor of Humane Letters. I now invite Tim Profetta, Associate Professor of the Practice in the Sanford School of Public Policy and Director of the Nicholas Institute for Environmental Policy Solutions, to accompany to the podium William Riley, candidate for the honorary degree of Doctor of Science. Bill Riley is among the most accomplished and committed environmental advocates in recent American history. Mr. Riley has been a trusted environmental advisor to several US presidents. He served as administrator of the US Environmental Protection Agency from 1989 to 1993, during which time, he led efforts to pass a new Clean Air Act and headed the US delegation to the UN Conference on Environment and Development. Before joining the EPA, he was Executive Director of the Rockefeller Task Force on Land Use and Urban Growth, President of the Conservation Foundation, and President of the World Wildlife Fund. He has also been a visiting professor at Stanford and Yale Universities, and Senior Advisor to TPG Capital. President Obama, appointed him co-chair of the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill, and to the President's Global Development Council, for which he headed the working group on climate-smart food security. Throughout his career, Mr. Riley has advocated for sustainable policy solutions that protect our environment. We're fortunate, then, that he currently serves as Chairman of the Board of Advisors for the Nicholas Institute of environmental for Environmental Policy Solutions here at Duke. Bill, for your many, many contributions to environmental policy, and for your leadership of the Nicholas Institute, I am delighted to confer upon you the honorary degree of Doctor of Science. Thank you so very much. I now invite John Brown, Professor of the Practice of Music and Vice Provost for the Arts, to accompany to the podium John Legend, candidate for the honorary degree of Doctor of Humane Letters. And I will note that John is uh, serving double duty today both as our final honorary degree recipient and as our commencement speaker. Duke University has hosted many commencement speakers who have made transformational contributions to medicine, business, politics, sports, culture, and the arts. But I believe I'm right in saying that John Legend is our first EGOT winner. And for those of you who don't know... For those of you who don't know, that's a big deal. It means John has won an Emmy, a Grammy, 12 actually, an Oscar, and a Tony. And And today, John, we're proud to offer you a dookie, which will make you the first (laughs) D-got. After completing high school at the age of 16 and graduating magna cum laude from the University of Pennsylvania, John went on to a career as a piano virtuoso and multi-platinum selling musician. He's released seven critically acclaimed albums. Among his 26 charting songs is 2013 single, All of Me, dedicated to his wife, Chrissy Teigen is tied for the highest certified track in the Recording Industry Association of America's history. In addition to his Grammys, he won an Academy Award for his song Glory in the movie Selma, an Emmy Award for his lead performance in NBC's Jesus Christ Superstar, and a Tony Award for bringing August Wilson's Jitney To Broadway. In 2019, he joined NBC's The Voice as coach. In addition to his extraordinary career in music and the performing arts, John is a committed and a vocal advocate for criminal justice reform and diversity in entertainment. He founded the National Free America campaign in 2015 to drive the conversation on criminal justice reform, an advocate for an end to mass incarceration. And as co-founder of the Get Lifted Film Company, he's produced a number of award-winning films with a particular focus on injustices faced by the black community and giving voice to underrepresented communities. John serves on the boards of directors of Harlem Village Academies and Management Leadership for Tomorrow and on the advisory boards for Teach for All and the Quattrone Center for the Fair Administration of Justice at the University of Pennsylvania Carey School of Law. John, for your extraordinary contributions to arts and for your advocacy for justice and equity for all, I am delighted to present you with its honorary degree, a Doctor of Humane Letters. Thank you. Thank
1: you leave that here. Nice you here. Good morning, Duke. or as sung by President Vincent Price from my 2008 album Evolver. Good morning. Good morning, Duke. How's everybody? Thank you, President Price, Provost Kornbluth, to the deans, the faculty, to my host, John Brown, thank you all for inviting me and including me in this venerable class, not only of amazing graduates out here, but incredible groundbreaking honorary degree recipients. It's an honor to be here. To all the Duke community, alumni, friends, faculty, family, whether you're tuning in from Durham or across the world, welcome. And most importantly, thankfully, blissfully, let me extend a big, in the flesh, congratulations to our guests of honor, the class of 2021. What a day, what a year, what an accomplishment. Congratulations, DDMF. (laughs) You know, I'm feeling good today because this is the first time I've been in front of a live audience hearing live applause since last February, 14 months ago. For a needy performer like myself, this is a very big deal. It feels very nice. Thank you for the love. I needed it. My wife has been exhausted. But this is not my first time on your beautiful campus. Way back in 2004, I performed at Doc with someone named Kanye West. You guys heard of him? In those days, I would play piano and sing the hooks for Kanye and hope that people would notice me. And then later that year, we released my first album, Get Lifted. And I'm realizing today that maybe it's thanks to Duke that my career took off. I wouldn't be an EGOT winner, a D-GOT winner without Duke. And I'm thrilled it's brought me full circle back to speak to you on this very momentous day, seriously. This is a special milestone for all of you. And if you don't feel it yet, that's okay.
0: If you're loving this episode, please leave a review and comments down below.
1: When I was prepping for my own graduation, way back in 1999, were you guys alive then? Uh, Barely, barely. I remember feeling pretty indifferent. Back then I was too cool to care about this silly ceremony. I'd already done the work. I'd already made the friends. I'd turned in my papers and passed my tests. What was the point of all this pomp and circumstance? But during the actual ceremony, I realized that being together is the point being joyous is the point. Celebrating is the point. We have so few moments to enjoy these rites of passage to just revel in our accomplishments with the people we love today is one of those moments, and of course, after a year when we could barely gather it all, it takes on a special meaning. Let's just acknowledge the elephant in the stadium. On your way to Wallace Wade, your class lost a lot. Some lost job offers, some lost loved ones, and all of you lost a whole year of those little moments that make college so special, the in-between moments. Those late nights in Perkins sitting across the table from your delirious friends. Those talks in the common room or spontaneous lunch dates. Those weeks camping out in the freezing cold for tickets to a sports game because apparently we do that here. (laughs) Those nights dancing around burning benches after you win because apparently that's a thing we also do here. But all this loss is no joke. I keep thinking about your senior performances. Losing those would have been tragic for me. All of you band members and a cappella singers and dancers and improv aficionados, I feel your pain. You've lost something that you won't get back. I won't sugarcoat that. It sucks. But from what you've lost, from all this vast, incalculable loss, you've also gained something. The fact that you're here today, graduates of one of the world's greatest universities, means that you've had to approach life with a certain competitiveness. I know because I did it too. I skipped grades to get ahead. I worked hard to graduate second in my high school class, went to Penn, graduated and got a job as a management consultant at Boston Consulting Group. Yes, I did that too. And that path required this constant drive to push harder, reach higher, do better, to try to be perfect or close to it. I'm sure that sounds familiar to a lot of you. But over the past year, you were forced to pause to see yourselves not just in competition with one another, but in community with each other. Anyone getting sick was a risk to everyone. We all had to slow down, social distance, cover our faces, stop filling our days with maximum productivity and simply keep each other safe, keep each other alive, care for one another. And this perspective you gained will serve us all because while that competitive drive that got you here can be an incredible gift. It can get in the way too. We all know that for Duke to win, UNC must, I think we say GTH. Is that right? Okay. But that competitiveness can be a slippery slope to thinking for me to get ahead in life, for me to succeed, someone else is going to have to lose out. Someone else is going to have to suffer. And you let that competitiveness take over your thinking and you might start seeing life as a zero sum game. This kind of thinking has poisoned our democracy from the beginning. One of the most important books I read this year was by a friend of mine named Heather McGee. It's called The Sum of Us. In it, Heather lays out exactly how much that zero sum game has cost us. America's story has always been marred by efforts to exclude, to dominate, to subjugate, to keep certain groups of people with no voice, no power, and no opportunity. Workers, women, indigenous people, black people, immigrants, the LGBTQ community, all because of a fear that if those people did better, somebody else would have to lose. But the miracle of our story is that as we expanded opportunity in our best moments, we proved that those fears were unfounded. When more people made more money, rich business owners didn't suffer, they got more customers. Prosperity increased for everybody. When people who'd been excluded finally got their voices heard, it didn't mean everyone else had to sit down and shut up. Our national conversations got better, richer, truer, smarter and so did our public policies. Our nation is at its best when we realize that we all do better when we all do better. Yet today, we're still fighting against that old zero-sum thinking that's been holding us back since the beginning. We see it in efforts to deny people their right to vote. We see it in the shameful recent attacks on trans rights. We see it around the world, across the globe. Nativism, sectarianism, exploitation, and authoritarianism are gaining ground. We see it in efforts to hoard economic opportunity. Today, the 26 wealthiest people on the planet own as much as the 3.5 billion poorest and powerful people are spending lots of money lobbying to keep it that way and of course we also see it in our policing and our carceral systems in the simple fact that so many people heard black lives matter and assumed it meant that other lives couldn't matter also that's zero sum thinking if I've ever seen it Now I know some of you may be thinking, yes. (laughs) Why is John Legend bringing us down on graduation day? You wouldn't be the first to say something like that. I've been hearing calls to shut up and sing for my entire career. Shut up and sing. Okay. Well, as North Carolina native Nina Simone once said, It is an artist's duty to reflect the times in which we live. And it's also a banker's duty, a lawyer's duty, a doctor's duty, a teacher's duty, an engineer's duty, an entrepreneur's duty, a plumber's duty, a nurse's duty, a mom's, a dad's duty. Class of 2021. Duke has poured all kinds of tools and resources and experiences into you. And I am asking you today to use them on behalf of our democracy, to remember just how interdependent each of us is on each other, to build communities that are healthier healthier and safer for everyone, where everyone can live up to their full potential. But how do we do that in practice? It's a tough question. When I was in high school, I entered a Black History Month essay contest sponsored by McDonald's. Yes, McDonald's. The prompt was, how you make black history. With a 15 year old's confidence, I declared that I would become a famous musician. Yes. This in turn I wrote, and I'm quoting myself here, will put me in a position of great influence, which I will utilize in order to be an advocate for the advancement of blacks in America. I said that when I was 15, but how does one do that? The problems are entrenched and interconnected. There's no clear path to follow. I kept thinking, where do I even start? During the decades since I became heavily involved in this fight, I've stumbled on three answers that I'm going to share with you today. First, while your schooling may be over, at least for some of you, the learning does not stop today. It cannot. Growing up, I spent a lot of time at the library. I read about Dr. Martin Luther King and other civil rights heroes, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, Ida B. Wells. I wasn't into comic books so much. These were my superheroes but even as someone steeped in the civil rights movement all my life. If you would have asked me about criminal justice when I was sitting where you all are today, I probably would have framed it as a personal responsibility issue. I think that's pretty common for those of us who have spent our lives trying to be perfect. I thought the problem was with individuals, not the system. I had family members and I had community members, neighbors, friends who were locked up. They messed up and I found a way not to. But then I learned about our country's mass incarceration complex. How the United States has just 5% of the world's population, but 25% of its prisoners. How one in three black men will serve prison time during their lifetimes. How more black men are under corrective control today than were enslaved on the eve of the Civil War. How much of this over-incarceration is a direct result of intentional policies that targeted people of color. Take the war on drugs. Our leaders said they'd wage war on drugs, but crises of substance abuse and drug addiction haven't gone anywhere. Instead, this war destroyed communities. It tore apart families. All of us have borne the brunt of that especially black and brown communities. We already suffered from housing and school segregation, massive wealth disparities, chronic underinvestment. Then these communities were specifically targeted for enforcement, even though black, white, and brown people use drugs at roughly similar rates. And now what should have been a public and mental health issue has turned into an excuse to disappear millions of people From their families and communities. The more I read about all this trauma and tragedy, the more I understood the systemic issues, the more passionate I got about doing something to change it. So I started Free America, a campaign to reform our deeply unjust criminal justice system. And the first thing we did was listen and learn. I met with people currently incarcerated, I met with their families, I met with survivors of crime, I met with district attorneys, corrections officers, state legislators, and civil rights activists. These folks knew a lot more than I did. I had to listen to them with an open mind and a humble spirit, and then focus on amplifying their voices. Only then could we effectively support crucial reforms, like initiatives to decriminalize drugs find alternatives to incarceration, and restore voting rights to formerly incarcerated people. It's been some of the most gratifying work of my life, but it never would have happened if I simply considered myself already educated on these issues and stopped my learning there. So that's lesson number one. Here's number two. I think it's natural to think you should start by tackling big problems in the biggest way. They say, go big or go home. But in my experience, some of the most important work you can do starts at home, whatever that means for you. So often we focus on major national issues and don't get me wrong. They matter. National elections matter, but municipal county school board elections determine so much of the everyday realities of our lives. Who lives where? Who goes to school where? Do we all feel safe walking down the street? George Floyd's murder mobilized a national and even global movement for change. But the truth is, most of the tangible reforms we need to reimagine public safety will come from local elected officials, the mayors and city councils setting budgets, the prosecutors deciding how justice will be served. And that's not just true for criminal justice reform, local nonprofits, local organizers know their communities and they know what they need in order to fight hunger and homelessness and violence in their local area. And I know some of you are about to move to a new community each with its own unique historical context and social fabric. And just as many of you moved to Durham four years ago and adopted this city as your own, I hope you'll learn about your new homes past, present, and future. Find its change makers and boundary breakers and bring your own unique gifts to the table to engage in the real tangible bettering of your community. There is wisdom, strength, and power in community. You have learned that here at Duke, but don't forget it as you build community elsewhere. And third, when you feel lost in this tangled web of problems, Know that in truth, the way out of it is simple. It's instinctual. It's called love. Love should be your north star. Let it guide you. Now, I love to sing about love, as you know. And maybe this sounds more like song lyrics than a serious point. But I believe that love is so important in our public life. Think about what it actually means to let yourself feel and show love for your neighbors. It means being curious about their lives, genuinely wanting the best for them, investing in their success. And once we recognize our interdependence, our mutuality, it's clear that love is precisely what our society needs. To look out for each other, to take care of each other. There are nearly 8 billion people on this planet, 8 billion strangers. What does it mean to love the people we don't even know? It means letting go of fear and embracing our shared humanity. Practically, it means things like ensuring everyone, everywhere can access the coronavirus vaccines because we know that until we're all vaccinated, we're all at risk. It means ensuring everyone is safe from the worst consequences of the climate crisis, especially in communities already undermined, under-resourced and underwater. To paraphrase the indigenous Australian activist, Lila Watson, love means that your liberation is bound up with mine and mine with yours. Professor Cornell West has a word for what this kind of love looks like in public. That word is justice. Love in public takes the shape of justice. And I'll close with one final story about justice. It's about a man named Desmond Mead. He grew up in Miami, Florida, graduated from high school, joined the army. He served this country as a helicopter mechanic. Dreaming of one day sailing the skies as a pilot. But along the way, he struggled with a painful addiction. And he was convicted of felony possession. He served his time and came out committed to staying clean. But when he came out, he re-entered a world that treated him as a loser in a zero sum game that didn't care if it was impossible for him to find a job or a home or a second chance. He also re-entered a state that denied him the right to vote. State laws discriminating against formerly incarcerated people are direct vestiges of Jim Crow. After the amendments granting voting rights and equal protection to black citizens after the Civil War, the white majority feared the power of the black vote and found many ways to limit it. Physical violence poll taxes, ridiculous literacy tests, and felony disenfranchisement. The plan was to incarcerate black Americans for petty theft, loitering, vagrancy, and then disenfranchise them, often permanently. This way they barred millions from the full rights of citizenship. Today, still an estimated one in 13 black Americans has been stripped of their right to vote due to past convictions. Now, it's hard to reverse these laws. It requires a constitutional amendment in a lot of places. In some states, it requires a popular referendum. In Florida, it wasn't just a ballot initiative requiring 51% of the vote, you needed 60%. And in an evenly divided state like Florida, that seemed impossible. Only love can give you the power to take on these kinds of odds. Love of the people you're fighting with. Love of the people you're trying to persuade. The basic belief that if we can honor each other's humanity and dignity, then no matter our differences, we'll end up wanting the best for each other. Desmond Mead got sober. He went to law school and filled with great love, indomitable optimism, and audacious hope He launched a campaign to take on those odds. We partnered with him at Free America. We shared people's stories. We asked neighbors to talk with their neighbors. We knocked on doors. And when the time came, we didn't win 60% of the vote. We won 65% of the vote. We passed a constitutional amendment that restored voting rights to more than 1.4 million Floridians. A year later, I stood in a Florida courthouse as a judge made it official for a room full of formerly incarcerated people. Some of these people hadn't voted in decades and hadn't really felt connected to their communities at all since their incarceration, but many said that this one moment made them feel like they fully belonged again, like they were part of something bigger. They were in tears celebrating, and so was I. And so was Desmond, this veteran, this former bodyguard, this calm, cool, and collected attorney with tears running down his cheeks. Duke class of 2021, I wish you lives with Desmond's kind of love. Love for our neighbors and for people who feel like they're a world apart. Love for justice, defined by a spirit of empathy, mutuality, and community. Love for a world where we don't need to win at someone else's expense, even if they're Tar Heels. Where we can win together. We can do this, class of 21. And when we live with this kind of love, when we lead with this kind of love, then one day, one day, one day, when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours, oh, one day, when the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, glory. Thank you so much, Duke. Congratulations, I love you.
0: Thank you, John, for those thoughtful, inspiring, wonderful remarks. Uh, We're so thrilled that you're a part of the Duke University family. I think it's fair to say we are all officially on Team Legend.